Well, um, I want to give you this morning um, three things that you can do to reach out to people who need Jesus. Okay? I want to give you three things. And I promise, if you do them, you will make an impact. Now, before I do that, I want to give you the backstory of this series uh, so you'll kind of know where we're going. Uh, we've been centering this entire series on Jesus. We call it Walk Like Jesus. So the question is, if Jesus were to live your life for one day, how would it be different? In other words, if he inherited all the circumstances of your life exactly as they are and nothing changed except Jesus' heart was put in the place of your heart, how would your life, how would your life look different? If Jesus lived in central Alabama in 2023, how would he live? What would he be doing today or tomorrow or the next day or whatever? See, I, I believe that one of the things that we've seen in the last few years is that the pandemic exposed the church's weakness, as crisis often does. I don't think we in the American church, by and large, we're doing a very good job at discipling people. And where's where I get that? Nobody knows for sure, but after the pandemic, somewhere between a quarter and a third of the church walked away and never came back. That's not very good discipleship. I mean, I mean, there's always stories and reasons and all of that, and some, some change is expected, but it can't be that much. So for the last two years, we at Kingwood, our leadership has been asking ourselves hard questions because there'll probably come another crisis or another event or another something, and I don't want to be where we were. I want to be somewhere else. I want to be doing something else. So we've been asking hard questions like, are we doing a good job at Kingwood making disciples? We've been asking questions like that. And the conclusion has been, for over two years, we've got to go deeper. So that means we've got to have different conversations than the kind of conversations we've been having. And for, for us, there's no better place to start those conversations than at the person of Jesus Christ himself. Let's just go right back to where it all started. Who was Jesus? How did he live? If he is our model, how did he live? And so that's what this entire series is about. So the question, I'm going to be encouraging you during this series to ask yourself hard questions. One of them is, are you living a Jesus life? I don't mean on Sunday. I don't, I'm not asking you to go to church. Are you living a Jesus life? See, those are the kind of questions we have to begin to think about. The series uh, comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? Uh, if you missed the uh, message last week, I encourage you to go back on our YouTube channel, Facebook, website, and grab it. Jesus had a strong prayer life. So that's what we talked about last week. Today, I want to share with you how Jesus lived his life on mission. So Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In other words, this is Jesus' mission statement for his life. If you have a mission statement at your work or you're at school, you know what we're talking about. This was Jesus' statement of his mission. Jesus' purpose was to look for people who needed his message to give them the message that they might be saved. 
That was Jesus' mission of his life. And this mission was so important to him that the last thing he said to his disciples before he died, actually the last thing he did with them before he died is he gave his mission to them. You can see it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So, so this mission was so important to Jesus, it's the last thing he talked about before he died. And he gave his mission to them. Now, you know the story. After that, Jesus was, was captured, imprisoned, tortured to death. He died. On the third day, he came back from the dead. And so Jesus is, here he is back from the dead. Guess what he's talking about? He's talking about his mission. In fact, the last thing the resurrected Jesus talked about is in Acts 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So you have Jesus walking around in his resurrected body and, and as he walked around and appeared to people and all of this stuff, the very last thing Jesus said to his followers before he left earth in his resurrection body, he's already been through death and come back. Easy said, you'll be my witnesses. And then the Bible says, basically, he shot straight up in the sky like a rocket out of their sight and disappeared. Imagine that. You'll be my witness. And they're just looking up like, that's it. You know, when you see someone for the last time, you never forget their last words. And you'll say, the last thing that this person said to me. And if they knew it was their last words, we have to assume it was their most important words, right? Because they had a choice on what they could say to you, and that's what Jesus chose to say. So Jesus was all about it. He was all about it. His whole life was about the mission. Now, if you study church history, you can see that there were large time periods, sometimes even centuries, where the church abandoned Jesus' mission completely. And there's all kind of great stories that I could tell you that show that. I think that we're in a time period where, at least in our part of the world, we're at risk for losing Jesus' mission. And here's, here's one of the reasons I think that's true, because our culture has shifted and moved away from God, and the reality is it's harder to reach an American with the message of Jesus than it was 20 years ago. It's harder. People, people have moved, they're not less spiritual necessarily, but they've moved further away from God, more toward other spiritual things. And so there are other conversations, and it's harder to reach an American than it was, you know, earlier, a while back. And so I think that's, that's pushed us back a little bit and caused us to, to pivot away from the mission Jesus gave us. And a lot of our younger folks, younger millennials and Gen Z, have just taken a beating from our culture. Our culture's just chewed up through media and entertainment and all, all kind of stuff. You know, star, star athletes and entertainers and intellectuals who've just chewed on the faith of younger people. And I think we have a tendency sometimes to focus on our own spirituality 
and then live in this false belief. Now listen to this, that we can have a deep spiritual life without Jesus' mission. Can we? Is that true? Is it possible to you, for you and I to have a fully deep faith and carve off Jesus' mission out of our life? Is, is that possible? I mean, if you want your faith to grow, let me tell you some ways you can get your faith to grow. Try to explain to an agnostic why you follow Jesus. Because they will ask you questions that you've not asked yourself before. But they will also cause you, if you don't give up and you go and seek out the question, they will cause you to find better answers than you have now. I, and I, I don't mean, G, okay, Jesus. Jesus answered everything. Try that with agnostic. You can't just say Jesus. You have to have a better explanation than that. And they will push you and cause you to come up with better answers. And when they do, your faith will deepen. I was so interested two weeks ago, if you missed our missions day with missionary Joey Gordon from India. I, 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 man, if you missed that, I encourage you, go back, go back and watch the message. It was profound. Joey and his wife and family moved to India 30 years ago into one region, and they've lived there most of the last 30 years in one of the darkest parts of the world, and they've wrestled with how do we plant churches and how do we make disciples and how do we share the message of Jesus in one of the darkest places on earth. And I asked Joey at lunch, we had about 15 of our younger people sitting with you, and I asked Joey, I said, Joey, let me ask you a question. I knew you in college. How much has your life changed because you've spent your whole life, what has it done to your faith that you've given your whole life to try to figure out how is it that I spread the message of Jesus among people who've never heard his name? What has it done to your faith? And he said, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's, it's changed my whole life. He just kind of shook his head. He's like, I, I, it changed my whole life. It changed everything about me. Well, why don't you try to explain to a, um, the abundant life of Jesus to a white-collar manager, professional, who um, lives in a, a four-car garage home, who has 2.2 children, who takes four vacations a year, why don't you try to explain the abundant life of Jesus to them? Because they say, hey, look, look, look. Everybody likes church. We're in the South. Everybody likes Jesus. Jesus is a good person. But I, but I, I kind of got my life the way I want it. I don't, I don't, I mean, I got as much as I need. You know what I mean? There's kind of that stiff arm. Well, when you try to explain that, guess what's going to happen? It's going to deepen your faith because you're going to begin to entertain questions you hadn't entertained before. Like, how do you penetrate that bubble? How do you get through that? When I was in uh, high school, this happened to me. I, I was a Christian and I had been saved, I don't know, about a year, year and a half, maybe a little more, and I felt a call to ministry. And, and, and for me, I understood uh, uh, being a Christian as sharing your faith. I, 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 somebody you know, messed me up and taught me that from the beginning. And I, I, didn't, uh, I never had a chance to think it wasn't part of it. And so I'm at work, and I work with a Hindu and a Mormon and two rednecks. <laughs> and, and fortunately, this Hindu was a nominal Hindu, and he knew less about his faith than I knew about mine. 
And so we had a lot of good conversations. You know, he would talk about how we need to give, why why is it that y'all so, he would ask me, why is it you're so loud in church? Why do y'all clap? And why do you do all that? We think that we should give God the respect that he deserves. And I had to think about that. I went, I don't don't know. I'm a baby Christian. I I don't know. But it caused me to find different answers. And, and then the Mormon didn't want to talk at all. And then uh, one of the rednecks didn't care. And the other redneck was trying to convince me that it was okay for him to live with his girlfriend because he had gotten saved at vacation Bible school when he's a child. And he was taught, once you're saved, you're always saved. It doesn't matter what you do after that. Well, I never heard of that. I never heard of that. I didn't know that was a thing. And I thought, is that true? And so, and it calls me, you see what I'm saying? And I grew. Like it caused my faith to get, that's what I'm saying. We got to have different conversations. We can't have conversations about, let me give you three ways to make your life better and go live however you want. We got to have conversations like, how do you live Jesus' life in your body? That's the kind of conversations we got to have. Because we got to get deeper. We, we, can't, we can't go through another crisis where a third or a quarter or whatever, half the church just walks away because there was no root. Because we led you to believe that Christianity is something different than it is. Christianity is centering your life in the person of Jesus Christ and following him with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. That's what it is. And the more you look like him, the more you're following him. Right? That's, that's the simplest way I can say it. So let me say it this way. Let me summarize. You cannot fully follow Jesus until his mission becomes your mission. Let's, let's don't live with this belief that we can, you know, carve that part out and just kind of stay to ourselves. That violates the life of Jesus and biblical Christianity. So let me give you three ways. And again, if you want to go to heaven, just take notes. That's all you have to do. That's the way you get in. Let me give you three ways, I'm joking, let me give you three ways to reach out to people who don't know Jesus. Number one, focus on one. Can can I tell you this whole idea about reaching the whole world? It's a lot. Like that's a heavy burden. The whole world, have you been anywhere where there's a crowd? Like look around. You know, go to Atlanta. There there goes a million. (laughs) You know. And they're 100 miles an hour. Reach the whole world. How in the world can I? Do you know the average Christian has a relationship with 20 unchurched people? How, how would you even reach 20 people? I don't know how to reach 20 people. Here's, here's the thing, though. Focus on one. Maybe we become so overwhelmed and do so little because we realize there's so much to do. In Luke chapter 15, these religious leaders came to Jesus complaining about how he was uh, eating with sinners. You know, that's terrible. You're eating with people that aren't going to heaven. Boo, it's terrible. They they, they hated that because they weren't qualified, you know, people to be sitting in his presence, they thought, as a rabbi. And so Jesus responded to their criticism with three parables. And uh, one, the first parable was about a woman who had 10 coins. She lost one, and so she had nine. Another one of the parables was about a shepherd who had 100 sheep, and he lost one, so he had 99. 
And, and the way the parables go is the woman wasn't content with nine. She became focused on the one. So she was tearing her house upside down, pulling everything apart, trying to find the one. And then the shepherd wasn't content with the 99. He was so discontent that this one was lost that he actually left the 99. He just left them behind, and he went out in the wilderness to find the one lost sheep. Here's why. One person matters, and you matter. You matter to God, and one person matters to God. So the question this morning is, who is your one? Who's your one? Jesus has an intense focus on one because one matters. So where do you go to look to find your one? Well, here's where you go. It might be a family member. It might be an extended family member. It might be a friend. It might be a, a coworker or a, a boss or an employee. It might be an acquaintance. See, here's what's awesome. This scripture that I read earlier that says go into all the world, if you look in the original Greek language that was written in go, here's the context, here's what it means. It doesn't mean go to a geographical point. It means go where you were already going. It's not a location, it's not an event, it's not a place. Where, where are you already going? Great, then go there. So, my guess is you already have someone in your circle of relationship who God has sent you to. Who is it? Who's the one? And maybe across your life, there'll be more than one. There'll be 10 or 12 or whatever. But one at a time, at least start with one. Focus on one. Number two, grow the relationship. So this is the fascinating thing to me about um, Jesus and Christianity. Jesus went one by one and gathered disciples, and he gathered 12 around himself, and he taught them what he knew. He brought them to faith in, in the Father and salvation. He taught them what he knew, and then when he resurrected and the Holy Spirit filled the church, they went out and did the same thing he did. And that same pattern has happened for 2,000 years until it reached you. So the church isn't a building, it's not an organization, it's not a denomination, it's not a college, it's not a resource, it's not music, it's not a conference, it's not an event, it's not a meeting. It's actually not even what we're at now. The church is relationships. One person sharing Jesus with another person for 2,000 years. And it has spread around the whole world. And that's, and that's how it works. So what do we learn from the life of Jesus? Relationships were Jesus' primary way of doing God's work. Now, now we sometimes think that like divine appointments were God's primary way of doing God's work. Like, and, and Jesus had divine appointments. He had, we, could, we could list a bunch of them. He had them, okay? But divine appointments were not Jesus' primary way of doing his Father's work. It was building relationships. Sometimes we have a tendency to wait on some cataclysmic event like this, some bad thing's going to happen and everybody's going to, their eyes are going to be open and they're going to go, oh, it's like I was in a fog and now I'm awake and I see that Jesus is the answer. So we had 9-11, we had the great recession around 07, 08, 09, we just came through a pandemic 
And most people didn't wake up. And if you have to ask yourself the question, if Jesus were here in central Alabama today, would he be waiting for a divine appointment to happen? Or would he be waiting for a cataclysmic event? Or would he be building relationships? And if you trace his life through the four gospels in the New Testament, you already know the answer. He would be building relationships. Because that's what he spent the majority of his life doing. He, in fact, he did it so much, his critics called him the friend of sinners. Which was a criticism again. So our county, Shelby County, is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama. So if Jesus were here, how would he live? Would he wait for some bad thing to happen to wake everybody up? Would he wait for divine appointments? Or would he go and build a relationship with one? I think we know the answer. He would go and build a relationship with the one. Now, why would he do that? I think think if Jesus were here, here's what he'd say to us. He would say, go and build a relationship with a person who needs Jesus, at least needs a church family, because the day will come when they will hurt. Because everybody hurts sometime or a pain will enter their life, or a change will come into their life. And you know what's going to happen when that happens? Is they they are going to be looking for someone who cares about them, and they may even be looking for someone they can ask some questions to. And you know who they'll ask? They'll ask you. If you build a relationship. If you don't, they they might not, you know what? If, if, If you don't, you know what they'll do? They'll Google it. Or YouTube it. And who knows what they'll get when they do that. But if there's someone in their life who's cared about them, that they trust, eventually they'll come to you and say, hey, what about this? Or can you pray with me? Or you know, how, how do you resolve this? So how do you grow a relationship? Simple stuff, practical stuff today, okay? Uh, here's a way, share a meal. I was so um, impacted when Joey Gordon was here two weeks ago, he shared with us uh, they've actually made a book and all kind of stuff on how they are trying to help people reach Indian people all over the world. But here's the, if you open the cover, there's a quote inside it that grabbed me. And here's what he said. We need less pulpits and more tables. Because he said in India, he has seen more people come to, come, come to Jesus over a meal than he has in a church service. Because that's Dialogue. People can, you know, ask questions and get to know each other. Take a genuine interest in their life without judgment. Like, you know, what's going on? Pray for them. So in your own private prayer time, when, when you see the one that God's put in your life, just make it a part of your regular prayer and start to pray over their life. Pray for opportunity. Pray for blessing. Pray that God would show them his favor and goodness. Pray that God would show them his love. If they have a need that you can meet, meet it. Show them God's love. Offer to pray for them. So that could look something like this. You hear them express some kind of need, like, oh, man, I'm stressed. We're trying to figure out if we're going to do this. That's a place for you to either say, depending on who they are, hey, can I pray for you? Or, hey, if it's okay, I'll be praying with you about that. And you can pray in private, or if they're open, you can pray in the moment. Share your story with them. Okay, here's what that looks like. 
For, for, for people, for, for all of you that are like me, that are extroverts, that's not 30 minutes. Everybody understand what I'm saying? That's not 30 minute sermon. That's about three to four minutes. And here's what it looks like. Here's what, here's what my life was like before I met Jesus. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's what it's like now. It's that. About a, about a minute or two here, here, and here. That's it. And, and if the door opens, you say to them, if they, you know, they ask you a question like, why do you go to church? Oh my goodness, really? They're begging for it. <laughs> or you say, hey, would it, if you, if you sense the doors open, hey, would it be okay if I shared my story with you of how God's changed my life? And you just have to follow the Holy Spirit's leading to do that. Answer questions they have. Let me tell you what this looks like. A lot of times, here's what this looks like. They ask you a hard question, and like me, you know, working at the mall with my Hindu friend, I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's, for some reason, we Christians think we have to have all the answers. It's okay for you to say, I don't know. Can I get back to you? And then come and ask somebody that you think is further along in the faith than you are. Say, well, how would you answer this? Right? I don't know. I think they'll appreciate the honesty. Invite them to church. Okay, so here's the thing. Inviting them to church is actually the best, least thing you can do. Does that make sense? The best, least thing. In other words, if you don't know where to start, invite, and let me tell you why that's so important. When you connect someone to the family of God, now the entire kingdom is open to them. They can be discipled, they can be cared for, they can be encouraged, they can be ministered to. No one of us has everything that a person needs from Jesus. But the body of Christ has everything that a person needs from Jesus. So it's so important that a new believer, a pre-believer, whatever you want to call it, it's so important that they have a church family because inside that family are all the resources and answers that we need to become everything God wants us to be. So invite, 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 and you probably are aware we've got Easter coming up right? And so look, if you've never reached out to anybody in your life, we've got these invite cards in the foyer and on your way out, grab a handful of them. They've got a QR code. You scan it. It tells them, you know, what time things are, where to go, all that stuff, all the details. But this is a great way. And if you're online, we can drop a link there and you can, you can share that online. And so for those of you online, it might look like this. You might have a friend who goes, man, I'm not going to a church building, but I'll come over to your house and watch church with you. That's okay. Maybe they, maybe they don't have an Easter outfit or don't want one or don't want to go through the whole thing. We want the message to get out. I don't care how it gets out. We want the message to get out. So that's a way that you can do it if you're online. If you're in person, here's how it sounds. Hey, I want to, I want to invite you to go to Easter service with me. What does that mean? Come sit with me. I'm not inviting you to be a stranger over on the other side of the room. You know, act like I don't know you when you get here. I'll meet you in the parking lot and I'll walk in with you and show you where stuff is so you don't feel overwhelmed or lost and I, I'd love for you to sit with me, right? So 86% of every person who begins to attend a church does so because a family member or friend invited them. Guess what, guess what it is when a pastor invites them? 6%. You're so much more effective than I am. Because they look at me and they say, oh, that's your job. Because they don't know my story. <laughs> they don't know how I got here. And they won't give me a chance. 
But you, it's not your job, right? That's how they view it. So I'm saying, man, grab some of these. And, and look, here's the thing. Maybe they come, maybe they don't come. I don't know. M- maybe they come to Easter service and they meet Jesus and maybe they don't. I don't know. I, we don't know that. But here's one thing I know for certain. If you invite them and they come on Easter service, they'll be welcome, they'll be cared for in an environment where nobody's going to manipulate them. They're going to experience the presence of God and they're going to hear a message of hope. I know that. So it's a great way to sow a seed of hope. It's a great way. And it's part, look, it's not all of it, but it's part of it. So we've got to continue to build relationships. Now, um, when I was a... Uh, uh, teenager. I, I'd, you know, I'd grown up in a real small church where we went some, but it never was really our life. And, um, Jesus wasn't our, our life so much. I lived in a very non-Christian family culture. And when I was 12, I just stopped. And at 15, some friends from my local church reached out to me and uh, I started to sit with them at lunch in the cafeteria and it was the weirdest thing. They'd be sitting there at the cafeteria and lunch reading their Bible or, you know, talking about what does that scripture mean, you think. And I'm just listening because I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you people are doing. This is kind of odd. Like, I thought the Bible was an old-fashioned thing for old people, you know, in church because that's the church I grew up in. It was all old people and, and me, you know, and a few other young, but that was it. And so they just reached out to me and they included me. Hey, come sit with us. They cared about me, and eventually they invited me to church, to the youth group, so I went to the youth group, and, uh, and then other people cared about me, and you know, eventually, uh, two o'clock in the morning, one Friday night, um, I knelt <laughs> on my knees in my living room, overwhelmed by emptiness, and I said, God, if you're real, God, if you're real, I hear these people talking about you, but I don't know if it really is true. If you're real, would you please Come and fill my life. And he did. <laughs> and from that, from those relationships, that I know what it feels like to walk into a church and only know one other teenager or two teenagers and go, I don't know, this is weird. I know what it feels like to walk into a church and have strangers care about you and disciple you. I know what that feels like. And those relationships were key into into me coming to faith. So the questions that I'm asking now are, how should we as a church reach out? And look, let me just confess to you. I think before COVID, I led you wrong. I think I was trying to push our church to go too fast. And here's the reason you know my story. I was pushing us to go too fast because I remember what it feels like to be lost. And it, and it weighs on my soul that our church is in the center of the most unchurched county in our state. And out of my own passion, out of my own sense of I remember what it was like to be lost, I pushed us too fast to try to reach. And so what we've been doing for the last two years, you don't even have brought, I mean, singing this year, we've been backing up and slowing down. And I've been looking back at the life of Jesus saying, how did Jesus do this? Here's how Jesus did this. He built relationships. And so what we're trying to do is pivot in our church and figure out, so here's how we're doing it as a church. 
We, we have, a, we have a, a group in our church, an outreach group that's raised up that's begun to build a relationship with the foster care community. And so look, what we don't want to do is say, hey, we're going to come do a, you know, a serving event. We're going to show up and serve you. And we may never, that's how we did it before COVID. We come and bless you and hope that somehow Jesus' love you know, drips onto you. And then we'll be gone. We'll probably never see you again. And, and we were spread out around our community. What we're doing is we're shrinking in and targeting a few people rather than trying to target everybody a little bit, which target a few people a lot. See? So what we're doing is we've targeted the foster care community and we've been serving them all, over time. We've targeted the special needs community. And so we've had a few outreaches this year. You might not even know about it. This Saturday, we're having an Easter egg hunt for the special needs community. Right here, and I, and I pray it's not 25 or raining, okay? We need neither of those. But we're having an outreach. You know why? Because over time, so six, eight, ten times a year, we want to keep coming back to the same people and sharing God's love with them over and over and over and over and over and build a relationship. And so that's what I'm saying that you and I have to do. Do you know it takes on average a year and a half to two years for the average person to make a decision to follow Jesus when they're in a relationship with another Christian? It's not fast. It's not fast. It's so much, that's why we do so good at reaching people from other churches, because that's fast. Reaching people who aren't Christians is not fast. It's slow. And what I'm asking our church to do is go, remember, deeper. So what I'm saying is we have to get deeper in everything. We've got to get deeper in discipleship. We've got to get deeper in evangelism. We've got to get deeper in worship. We've got to get deeper. We've got to live the Jesus life, man. Because I don't want to go through another fallout like we did. If that resonates with you, you're home. Yeah, cultural Christianity is not home here. Like we want to live, we want to do the Jesus deal, right? And so, and so what happens, it'll be slow. But look, watch. Can you imagine in five years what this church will look like when you have all these baby Christians bouncing around, you know, messing everything up. Like, I, don't, I don't know, I just thought, I, you know, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. They just do something crazy. And we look at them and say, thank God. Thank God you're here to mess it up. You know, mess our hairdo up. Thank God. Because God is birthing new people into the kingdom. All right, last one, show God's love. Look, this is the main thing, okay? This is the main thing, and it's the most important thing, because here's the thing. You and I don't have the ability to change anybody's life. You're not called to change somebody's life. I'm not called to change somebody's life, because we don't have the ability to change anybody's life. But we can show them God's love. We can show people God's love. And when you show people God's love, it is absolutely life-changing, because that's what God did for us. Look at John three sixteen. For God so loved the world... That he, he gave. He showed his love. God so loved the world. That's the strategy he took. When we were helpless and hopeless and lost, God loved us. So unconditional love looks something like this. You're in relationship with your you know, friend who's, who's away from the church, who's away from God. And, and in your heart, you act like this toward them. Maybe there's a time to say it. Maybe there's not. Maybe you never say it. You just show it through your action. It's like this. If you never become a Christian, I'll still care about you. I'm not caring about you so, you, so, so 
if you believe what I believe, I'll care about you. Sometimes if we're not careful, we give people the impression, I'll care about you if you come to church with me. Or I'll care about you if you believe what I believe. That's conditional. Unconditional love looks like this. It's not based on anything you do or not do. I care, watch this. I care about you because God loves me. I care about you because I've experienced the unconditional love of God and it's changed my life. And therefore, I'll show you what was shown to me. And you may never go to heaven. You may never come to my church. You may never confess Jesus on this earth. But you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm called to show you love. So that's what I'm going to do. And the rest is up to God. Right? I, I, it's up between God and them. That's my part. So let me, let me summarize it like this. God didn't love you to change you. He loved you because that's who he is. And when you accept his perfect love, it changes you. I want to say that again. I, I want you to wrestle with this thought. This is a deep thought. God didn't love you to change you. He loved you because that's who he is. And when you accept his perfect love, it changes you. God's unconditional love is the most powerful force on earth. When you encounter it, it'll change you. I, I want to tell you, I, you know what? I've preached way too long. Sorry. Don't do what I do. <laughs> I want to tell you something. About two weeks ago, Preston, you all know Preston, Wade Preston, you know. Preston's up here singing every Sunday, you know, and sometimes you'll hear him sing between notes, you know what I mean? <laughs> About two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, Preston was out at the store, and he saw a lady at the store, and he said, do you know the Ten Commandments? That's a great opening line, isn't it? <laughs> Don't know where we're going <laughs> with this, you know? You know the Ten Commandments? No. Do you, do you go to church anywhere? No. Watch. I, I, for those of you who are new, you, you don't know this. The vision of our church is to be a movement of hope. Okay? That's our, that's our vision. And the next thing that Preston said to her is he said, Would you come to church and sit with me because I'm a movement of hope. And that Sunday, she was sitting with him. Is she here today? Is she? Oh, she sat right there. Okay, I thought you were saying she's here today. But she was here last week, right? Last week she was here. Isn't that something? That's something. Come on, stand with me. So we want to pray today, okay? But before we do, uh, let's let our hearts be moved and softened by Jesus, the living hope. If you're online, our prayer team's ready to meet you. Just type in the comment your prayer need, and we have a live prayer team ready to pray with you. We want to, we want to ask Jesus, Holy Spirit, soften our heart. Do in our heart what you came to do today.